politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for everything that matters in our life, in the way it matters, at the time it matters. This is your host, Daniel Hurwitz, back here for today, Free For All Friday, July 21st, and it will be a free-for-all. We're supposed to do a special food health show, but it's going to have to be pushed off till next week because Dr. Goddick is in the Amazon jungle, and there's too much noise there, evidently, so we couldn't connect. So my goal today is we have so much to do, so little time. I don't even know where this is going to take us, but I want to offload as many important stories. We'll do an information overload to sort of get out some of the stories that you might have missed throughout the week, some analysis, some important principles. We got a Gallup poll out as late as 2004, 90% still believed in God. Now it's down to 74%. That's a huge drop in one generation. And obviously a good part of that is kind of fake belief, not real. And we think, well, among Republican voters it is higher. But do we really believe in anything? And it's a theme we've been driving home all week. That when you don't have affirmative beliefs, you don't put in the effort or focus to capitalize on the opportunities you have to move the ball down the field uh, pursuant to your views because you don't have any. It's just reactionary politics to what you see. And, you know, this is why we're losing red states, as we talked about yesterday. We're losing primaries. We're losing actually even some some Democrats still hold office in a couple of red states, and uh, we're failing to even knock them off in a general Because we are not focused. And today I'm actually going to be a little bit unfocused, but they're all on very important issues. Uh, But again, it all starts with having a core, and then you could react to a news cycle, but it has to drive towards an outcome. And we're going to keep doing that, even if no one else does. First, our sponsor today our friends at Barrel Buddy, for those of you, and you know who you are, who don't clean your guns, they could malfunction on you when you actually need them. The best way to clean is with a Barrel Buddy. It's a cartridge that is designed perfectly. It's a multi-stage cleaning, so it's a two-part polymer design that scrubs and collects the particulates, but then it absorbs the residue and buffs clean. It's disposable. Um it's, it also, you could use it for lubrication. No lint or shredding is left in like you have with the cloths. It's less hassle, less dirty. It's strong and durable, custom fit. Uh, so you go to BarrelBuddy.com and make sure you order uh, your caliber, if it's 9mm or 223 for a rifle. And it really is excellent value. I mean, 50 of these cartridges for just 15 bucks that will easily get you a year's worth of cleaning. I mean, unless you have a ton of firearms. Um, very portable also. Safely use wet or dry and no cables needed. It is American made by a couple of patriots who listen to this show and are longtime fans. So again, use our own for something that we all believe in, Second Amendment, but do it responsibly by cleaning your guns at BarrelBuddy.com today. So I just want to start with one observation 
Uh, we talked about yesterday the FAA authorization bill. And here we go. This is another example of a missed opportunity. It wasn't one of the bigger leverage points, but it was one of the must-pass bills where we could have remade government and all of the good amendments got voted down, so we should have voted against the bill. But instead, just 38 GOP no votes, just 38 against the reauthorization. So it will go to the Senate, we'll get bipartisan support, no reforms, and there you go. So we all talk around, oh, a new-based Republican Party, a Trump Party, and nothing really changes. About 38 members, mainly, uh, looks like, just from eyeballing it, mainly Freedom Caucus roster, and that's it. But particularly, we talked about yesterday there was an amendment to the FAA authorization bill, and I'm forgetting who brought it, but it was to reinstate the pilots who were fired for not getting the gene juice. And and literally at a point when we're having a, a pilot shortage, and obviously a lot of them were injured. So... 83 Republicans voted with every Democrat. Maybe there was one Democrat that switched, but basically 80 Republicans voted against the amendment, so it was overwhelmingly defeated. So there you have it. About a third of the GOP conference couldn't even hold the line behind that. And I bring this up because I saw throughout the day yesterday a number of these members, like the real rhinos, like Don Bacon from Nebraska comes to mind. They were trying to create, as they always do, this pseudo-libertarian argument. Daniel, this is not the military. This is not the NDAA. These are private commercial pilots, and I don't like telling companies what to do and who to hire and not hire. And Now, now first of all, they, just to be clear, they don't believe in this argument. The ones positing the argument don't believe in it because they're often the biggest government type of guys, big government type of guys that that are for getting involved in everything. And if you try to cut the welfare programs like one iota, they'll go and scream and say, oh, it will harm my constituents. But I, I want to address that because this is really important in the times we're living in. When you have a team that gets up to bat and ties up the referees and just like, you know, takes control of the game and violates every rule rather than three outs, they get an unlimited number of outs. And then somehow kind of, you know, you get into power, you restore order, restore the referees, and you're up to bat. Now, they, they scored 15 runs, 100% built off of not just, you know, technical illegalities, but like fundamental illegalities in the rules of the game. You can't say, well, now I'm going to play with, uh, you know, three three rules. No, I mean, I'm going to get as many runs as you got in that inning, and I'm going to fill out our, our uh, scorecard with that many runs, and then we could start the game over. And this is where we are in the, in, in, in the United States economy. When you have a situation where the government mandates it for government workers and private contractors, they go and severely encourage it for everyone else. They monopolize the marketplace of ideas and dissemination of information to the point that they literally worked with the private sector to censor 
all exculpatory evidence to a vaccine mandate. And then the entire existence of the vaccine is because of the most anti-libertarian, anti-free market things. They absolve them of liability. They fund it. They force it. They, they, and again, they monopolize the space. So if you have government that says, if you don't get product A, you will die. And they have the ability to use all their levers, all of taxpayer funding to fund every NGO to say the same thing. That's not free market. That's fascism. And by the way, on the spectrum of what is private and public, this is the closest thing you could really have to public because it's a joke. The FAA, the FAA reauthorization bill is full of government regulations. Like the notion that somehow the five or so monopoly airline carriers we have is free market. I mean, it's all regulated by government. That's what an FAA reauthorization bill is. It's quasi-military in some respects. So... But, but I'm just telling you, this is what we're up against. This is the Christy Gnome argument. Oh, you can't tell people what to do, except for when they do all the time. And this is where most Republicans are. Even something this egregious. So this is an important argument that we still need to, to get out there on the playing field. Um, but I want to move on to a couple other things. I want to talk about two things at once, anarcho-tyranny and my thesis on judicial supremacism and the courts. So some of you might have missed, about a week ago, there was this ruling in Oregon. As you well know, Oregon approved a ballot measure. Uh, yeah, a ballot measure. It wasn't legislature. It's basically the most heavy-handed gun control law in the entire nation. And it regulates every aspect of, of guns. It was called Measure 114. It requires residents to undergo safety training, a background check to even obtain a permit just to buy a gun. It bans the sale, transfer, import, importation of gun magazines with more than 10 rounds, um, which is almost like Again, even a small gun now is all marketed with more. You have to go to subcompact for that. And those who already own them can only possess them at home um, or use at a firing range, but nothing more. And now you guys might be thinking, well, dude, that violated the spirit of Heller and McDonald years ago and certainly violated last year's Bruin opinion, right? I mean, that, that again, it's an individualized right. It's, it has to be subject to strict scrutiny. It is, um, you can only regulate things that are, you know, that are not commonly used. And you can't tell me that a magazine more than 10 rounds is not commonly used. I mean, what other fundamental right is able to undergo? You have to do this and that in order to exercise it. And that's basically what the Bruin ruling was. So you would think this would be thrown out in three seconds. Well, we're going to talk about a Karen. A Karen as a judge. But first, this segment is sponsored by our friends at Jace Medical. Um, again, Folks, the Fourth Reich, it is upon us. What they did to us the last few years, 
they can and will do again. And even already, there's a shortage with most drugs. So how are you going to get a hold of the drugs you need? Those of you who are on long-term um, blood pressure, heart medication, diabetes, mental health. Jace Medical has something called Jace Daily, which backs up any prescription that you currently have that you're concerned your doctor is going to be squeamish about giving it to you. And if, even if they do, the pharmacy might not have it. The pharmacy, the insurance company screws with you. Go to jacemedical.com. That's with an S, not a C, J-A-S-E, medical.com. Enter promo code review at checkout for a discount. And you'll fill out about a 10-minute application to make sure they can give you a valid prescription. There's no contraindications. And you will get a full 12-month supply of as many prescriptions as you have and that you need to keep up. This will give you the peace of mind that you have a long-term supply when the Fourth Reich hits the road. That's jasemedical.com, offer code review. So I was floored by this. It happened uh, last week. A federal judge ruled, Karen, Judge Karen Emergut, that, no, these regulations falls within the lines of the nation's history and tradition of regulating uniquely dangerous features of weapons. It's unbelievable. Karen is a Trump appointee who was confirmed by voice vote. And I've warned you, if you look at, however, you know, Trump appointed a few hundred judges, if you, it's almost a perfect line. The ones that got unanimous or near unanimous, this was a voice vote approval, they will be big problems. It's only the ones that were totally fought against that will possibly be good. And again, a lot of them were good, but a lot of them were not. Um, she says, large capacity magazines are not commonly used for self-defense and are therefore, I mean, it literally, every word, stands in contrast to the Bruin opinion. So it's not just even the liberal judge. Well, she is a liberal, but a Democrat appointee, but, but a Republican appointee. And there's a number of lessons I want to derive from here. A number of important lessons on this free-for-all Friday. Number one, as I keep saying, every Democrat president bats a thousand meaning they are full a hundred percent pedal to the metal on any political dividing line issue they will constantly issue a ruling in accordance with what the democrat party wants at the time supreme court appeals court district court they bat one thousand no exceptions so if they get you know 50 appellate court nominees and two supreme court nominees and you know, 130 district court nominees during the course of their term, every single one of them will be peddled to the metal. But when it comes to, and I'm genuinely shocked because this is like every Republican judge would, would have ruled the right way, you would think. But when it comes to Republican nominees, it's like it's hit or miss. The Supreme Court ones aren't liberal, but they're not like all great as we saw. They're not as good as they can be, especially if you have a GOP Senate anyway. And you go down to the lower court judges, and it really is hit or miss. And then you get some like this that are just downright leftists. That's number one. So again, we're not winning it back if 
you know, Obama had eight years peddled to the metal. And Trump had four years better than 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 Bush, but not and but very far from perfect. Biden comes in, gets roughly he's tracking on roughly an equal pace of confirmations as, as Trump, but they're a hundred percent pedal to the metal, full utility to their cause. So overall, there really is an, a saturation of judges still a majority that are not good. So this notion that somehow judicial supremacism is going to work for us, that when the Democrats go, oh, it's terrible, the Supreme Court, we need to, I hate it that the courts could do this. Take yes for an answer. Cut that deal. You want to de-emphasize judicial power? Let's do it. Because Bruin was one of the greatest opinions we'd benefit from, and even then, they could come back a Republican-appointed judge and chip away at it. Can you imagine Obergefell? You have like a lower court judge like, no, nah, you know, screw that. Again, I admire the left. But again, it, this is a question I think we all need to ask. This is something you can't miss. I haven't looked into her much. Usually it's more cultural issues, but guns is like standard, like, you know, second, because it's just because the Second Amendment is shall not be infringed. And then once it's affirmed by... Heller, McDonald, and Bruin, it's like, what is there to talk about? But even then, it's ne- there's never finality when it comes to the left. They get finality. A donkey and a horse is now a marriage. Done. Not a single red state will push back. There's no court case against it. Nothing. Republican judge, nothing. But when we get a ruling simply affirming what, you know, whether you agree or disagree, it's in the Constitution... You'll even have a Republican judge screwing with it. So you can't defend yourself. You don't have a fundamental right for what's actually in the Constitution. But you have a fundamental right to riot. And you have a fundamental right to camp out on the streets and set up homeless encampments. Also in Oregon, Ninth Circuit. Let me juxtapose this. This is the anarcho-tyranny we live in. So picture this. Picture picture the world we live in. And again, this is why in the long run, there is no future in the blue states. You're not going to be able to rely on, um, you know, judicial uh, review to somehow evacuate you from the tyranny of your fellow citizens in those blue states. And all the courts are going to do is just impair us from making red states red. I'm just telling you, I'm the only one with this line of thinking, but you see you see it every day. As much as you think, all oh, the Supreme Court, we're, we're winning, it's all relative. But you can't share a country with people who have the following mindset. That local governments have the power to shut down your life, liberty, property, and even human breathing mask-free for the interest of public health. That we can take a five-year-old in kindergarten and mask it, say, we're going to criminalize your breathing in public school for eight hours a day. Because, man, states have so much power for the public health and the public good. But then they'll turn around and tell you that that same state government, local government, municipality government, 
is powerless to clear out public encampments saturated with crime, filth, drugs, and health concerns, despite the prima facie huge, huge public health and just, you know, public interest emergency we're seeing particularly in the Western states with the homeless problem getting worse and worse and ties straight into the drugs and crime. So under left-wing jurisprudence, you have a right to camp out anywhere on city streets, but no right to walk freely without a mask. Again, you cannot, you cannot share a country with people and the governments they elect that reflect that. So we, we talked about this at the time, but uh, I want to say in 2018, there was this Boise opinion, Martin versus the city of Boise, Idaho, when they wanted to clear out this encampment. And the, ni- the district court in the Ninth Circus created an Eighth Amendment right to publicly camp out. That if you clean up the public encampments, it's like taking away someone's living and it's cruel and unusual punishment. Literally, that's, I mean, that's what they're saying. Cruel and unusual punishment. Um, and they'll say it with a straight face. So two weeks ago, there was a ruling in the city of Grant Pass, Oregon, Johnson v. City of Grant Pass, where the uh, um, the Ninth Circuit, well, well, this was last year, the a three-judge panel for the Ninth Circuit went and expanded that ruling. They, they, they basically expanded that Eighth Amendment violation. So there's basically no way a city government can clean up the homeless encampments now. It's just interesting the way they write. Like, how could you live? That's their very essence. It's like, yeah, and, and you could say that in order to function in life, I cannot breathe with my nose and mouth. But anyway, what happened was on July 5th, earlier this month, they um so the city appealed in bonk. There's a middle step for those of you who don't know between a three judge panel and the Supreme Court. That typically you you don't get a case heard by the entire circuit. It's a randomized three judge panel. But you could say I want it to be heard in bonk, and they did. And basically what I what I deduce is that there were 28 active judges. Only the active judges vote on something like this, not senior judges. And there's 28 active judges. It appears like the ruling was 17 to 11 against it. So even though Trump did get some really good nominees on the Ninth Circuit, but everyone's like, oh, we're remaking the Ninth Circuit. I mean, no, you're not. I mean, you, you, it's slightly less lopsided, but it's still a, a, a permanent majority that they have there. And, um, and there you have it. Now they're going to appeal to the Supreme Court, but it already went to the Supreme Court, by the way, in um, the Boise case, and they refused to grant cert to it. Now, you didn't have Barrett back then. You did have Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg was still there. So you did have five Republican appointees, including Roberts, and four without Roberts. You have four so-called conservatives without Roberts. Now you have five so-called without Roberts. It takes four to bring up a to hear a case five to win. Now, and, and, and like imagine you have a novel ruling on an issue that is urgent and emergent that you got to clean it up, and you wait years after years for the Supreme Court to take it up. And this is what people don't understand. I saw a statistic: the Supreme Court 
dealt with the fewest cases last term than any time post-Civil War. And, and it, it's a trend. It's been getting less and less. And at the end of the day, a lot of cases for years, they stew in the local courts. And I said this for years, the difference between conservative Supreme Court justices and liberal ones. That conservative, that, that liberal ones, let's say you have a Republican lower court that creates a novel ruling, like the very grave consequence, even if it's totally constitutionally sound. They will grant the appeal in three seconds. If they have a liberal majority, they'll grant it in three seconds, or if they at least have four to, to hear it, and, and they'll hear it. Republican judges often won't grant cert, and they'll allow the bad lower court ruling with its grave consequences to stand for a very long time. And mind you, there was already a circuit split on that because the 11th Circuit in, years ago ruled against such a concept in Orlando in a similar lawsuit. You know, they tried to use this somehow, you know, cruel and unusual punishment. And the 11th Circuit ruled, quote, a distinction exists between applying criminal laws to punish conduct, which is constitutionally permissible, and applying them to punish status, which is not. And um, and obviously, Boise's law and Grant Pass's law is the same one in the 11th Circuit in the sense that it prohibits behavior broadly applicable to anyone without targeting a specific identity. Of course, to begin with, obviously, the entire scope of the Eighth Amendment of Cruel and Unusual Punishment was the degree of severity of criminal punishment, such as torture, not the scope of criminalization of a behavior through police issuing a citation. A citation, by definition, can't be cruel and unusual. Even if you believe there are legal problems with it. Um, in Granby, Florida, uh, Justice Thomas wrote, the cruel and unusual punishment clause was originally understood as prohibiting torturous methods of punishment, specifically methods akin to those that had been considered cruel and unusual at the time of the Bill of Rights. I mean, so this whole thing is garbage. But despite the circuit split, you know, the Supreme Court did not take it up. Now, to be fair, I mean, it could be. Now, there, sometimes you'll, you'll see cert denied um, Thomas and Alito dissent from denial, and they would have taken up the case. No one officially registered it. It doesn't mean they, they agree with it, so you can't read too much into it. Now, it could mean that at the time you had Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Alito, and Thomas – and it could be they agree that it's a horrible decision, and they alone technically do have enough juice to take up the case, but they feared that they wouldn't have Roberts as the fifth vote to rule properly. So maybe, and hopefully now that you have Barrett instead of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, so you can get five without Roberts, hopefully they will take this up this term. But you just don't know. And again, this is just what I mean. The capacity of a good judge to do good is nowhere near the capacity of a bad judge to do bad. The impact of a good ruling will never be as consequential as the impact of a bad ruling, which is why on net, and, and anyway, you're never going to have the courts hold back tyranny in a blue state. They'll just impose it upon you in a red state. That's why I would shake hands with the left and say, you think this is a supreme uh, permanent conservative majority on the Supreme Court? In their mind, it's even a 6-3 to three majority? 
all right, let's shake hands on it. Let's take a number of political issues out of the courts. That's the thesis of my first book, and it and it despite the changes in orientation of the court, I still hold it. It 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 rings true. But anyway, so this is the anarcho tyranny that you basically have ubiquitous homelessness, drugs, and crime. You can't defend yourself. And then crime pays. This is an unbelievable story that's going to boil your blood. New York Post. Or this is actually Reuters. New York to pay $13 million to protesters arrested during Floyd protests. And basically... They filed a class action sh- suit, 1,300 people, each one's getting almost $10,000 during their New York riots between May 28th and June 4th, 2020. They're, they, they're, they're settling the case. And what, what's, the, what's the story? They accuse them of trapping them in a tight space using batons, pepper spray, and other chemical irritants and even bicycles were were used forcefully against protesters. Now, you guys know exactly where I'm headed when you read that. You're like, wait a minute. People trapped in tight spaces, and actually a few of them died, like Roseanne Boylan, and used pepper spray, obviously January 6th. I mean, these guys are just trolling us now. So you have a scenario where you have a prima facie riot, meaning like it's like Benghazi. Remember how they tried to say it was a protest that got out of hand? No, it wasn't. It was an attack. So what happened in New York was an attack. It was people running down the streets, smashing all the stores in Manhattan. It was there was no it wasn't like there was like a permitted protest with speakers and, you know, singing God bless America. And, and, you know, some people got out of the hand. No, it was a prima facie riot. So the, the police had the right to use, you know, pepper spray is a basic riot, you know, riot stuff. That's a riot crowd control. Here, it was a prima facie protest. We actually have video exactly the minute on the west side that it turned violent is when people didn't even realize what was happening. They just chucked stuff in there. Major police abuse. Not only will there never be any punishment for the abuse, but people who never acted violently are facing numerous years in prison. Again, that's the anarcho-tyranny. It's by design. You cannot share a country with it. And, and this is why at my core, I'm not even that into the presidential election for its own sake, but just the fact that we need a leader who will make red states red so we can evacuate ourselves from this. You're not going to beat it. And by the way, one other thing on crime I just wanted to get to before we move on to the next segment. The um, Bureau of Prisons came out with some statistics. Just, just so you know where we are, the number of people in federal prison for ju- drug offenses decreased 24% during the five-year period. That's almost a quarter from 2013 to FY 2018. Now that's five years ago. By now, I'd love to see the numbers. That was before the First Step Act. The jailbreak. By the way, that time, I'm just going to tell you, 
that time perfectly coincides with the insane explosion of the drug crisis. It started in 2013. You could track it on a graph. Now, there's several factors. There's the border, but a lot of it is criminal justice. Now, you want to be a consistent libertarian and you're just like, I don't believe in it. Fine. But I'm just saying these people that were like, at the time, they were all like, Daniel, we need criminal justice reform. And now they're all like, oh, it's terrible, the drug crisis. Like, dude, so so here's the deal. I agree that you're never going to take all drugs off the streets with that aspect of the war of drugs. But we were saying, like, in the 90s and 2000s, the war on drugs doesn't work. And then we basically decriminalized it. That's basically what we did. Even if it's not officially, we, we, no one is locked up for drug trafficking. And that's that's the problem. Um, And it exploded. And we're like, oh, well, that's what not working looks like. I mean, there's a difference between keeping a problem somewhat in check and just totally not mitigating it. But again, it's not even drugs. Those that are in federal prison, I'll say it 50 times, are the gangbanger drug traffickers that are responsible for the broad violence in all the inner cities. So it went down already a quarter. And this is what I said. All these guys were like, we need the first step back. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? We're locking up at the time that they were pushing it fewer than ever. So this is the statistic there. The number of people in BOP custody decreased from from FY 2013 to 2018 down 61% for marijuana, 45% for cocaine, 35% for powder cocaine, um, and even down um, 13% for heroin. The number of people um, in federal prison who who are eligible for mandatory minimums declined 33% over that period. Um, And again, now it's probably down 90%. So... I'm just sick of people that complain about a problem and they're part of what caused it. And and I was literally the last, you have no idea. I was the last man with a byline that believed in Reagan's view on crime. And now suddenly everyone's a big hero. And And it, and it just reminds me of the whole Jared Kushner thing. It's like, I look at people, he's gonna fight for us. Like, he turned over his entire administration to Jared freaking Kushner. I don't know if you, you guys have heard this, but I don't know if you ever heard here. This is January 20, 20th, 2021. So the first day Biden's in office, there's a video recording of Fauci taking a call from Jared Kushner, just being all pleasant. Take a listen here. Jared. And that sincerity, really, it's been an honor working with you, and thank you for all your help in this challenging period. Now we still have the, the burden on your shoulders. Right. <laughs> but I don't care. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Send my best to Ivanka. Take care. Right. Bye-bye. It's interesting. That was Jared Kushner. So, folks, you heard that. You heard that. So that's Kushner and Fauci together. 
Fauci is not even the issue. It's Kushner is the one who enabled that. But Fauci is like a March 20th, a March 2020 issue and onward. So be like, oh, he had a great presidency until March. No, it was all four years we were fighting Kushner. People have such amnesia. It drives me nuts. He, How is that acceptable? That you have this populist movement and was like, please, we're sick of the globalists and the neocons. And the guy turns his administration selfishly over to his daughter and son-in-law. And it's like almost like trolling us. It was like a stereotype. If you had to paint a caricature of the rhetoric that Trump's base uses of what they hate, that's what Jared Kushner was. How, how is he never held accountable for that? We missed hundreds upon hundreds of civilization policy opportunities during those critical four years because of that. And no one ever wanted to look the guy. I, I, we, we did hundreds of shows. This has nothing to do with DeSantis. I, I, I've been, <laughs> DeSantis could drop dead tomorrow, won't matter. I've been saying this the entire four years of his presidency. I warned about it before, actually. And nobody wanted to tell him, uh, dude, your family is the, the problem. And now it's even worse. This is the problem. You need one of the most amazing things about DeSantis is that despite everything he has done, everyone I know who works in professional conservative politics, including friends of mine, I'll be honest, they're like, he is may as well be Mitt Romney. He is just garbage. He is trash. He is a globalist, Soros, um, establishment, like, no, I, and they really mean it too, by the way. And I'm thinking like, wow, you know, on some level, it would be great all the more so if he becomes president because he'll never catch a break. Nothing will be good enough and everyone will constantly be demanding more. Hey, you're a globalist, you know, fights for us on every damn issue and not just fights because fighting doesn't mean anything, but succeeds and wins and then demonstrates a Reagan model electoral prowess through that. And it's like, you're garbage. I would like 1% of that degree of accountability with Trump. No one will tell him, stop it with the tranny stuff. Stop it with the log cabin Republicans. Stop dumping on the heartbeat bill. Stop, stop it with the vaccines. That should scare us. He literally said, he literally said, if I, when I'm president, you have to raise the debt ceiling. Now that I'm not, I'm willing, I, I mean, he's honest. If you're not going to fight on the leverage points, Republicans are never going to get 60 seats in the Senate. Okay, that's just not going to happen. So you're going to have the filibuster. And that's where you're going to enact all this stuff is on this, on, on the, the leverage bills. And by the way, while I'm on the topic, and I know I'm meandering, but getting back into campaign stuff, I want to play for you another 30-second ad. Trump ran an ad for president 
with Fauci praising him, meaning they ran Fauci's praise as an ad. Take a listen here. President Trump is recovering from the coronavirus, and so is America. Together, we rose to meet the challenge, protecting our seniors, getting them life-saving drugs in record time, sparing no expense. President Trump tackled the virus head on, as leaders should. I can't imagine that anybody could be doing more. We'll get through this together. We'll live carefully, but not afraid. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. So, folks, Fauci's basically saying he listened to me on everything. And I want to make something clear. There's a number of examples where the retards in conservative media make excuses for Trump that are prima facie false. So, like, when they said, oh, he didn't show up to the Tucker Forum because he had a scheduling conflict, even though he didn't, and even though his top aide said he doesn't plan on coming to the debates even. So clearly it's not about a, a scheduling conflict. It's that he doesn't want to show up. And you put in an excuse that he himself is not saying. So with Fauci, they're all saying, you know, he's civil service. They couldn't fire him. They're missing the freaking, the point is not that he's the freaking head of the agency NIAID. He could have kept him there writing grants, doing what he does. It's that he elevated him to a White House position, not a, civil service, a, 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 a political appointment by Trump and Pence as the lead advisor on coronavirus, and he listened to him and ran an ad not a month later, not two months later. Maybe you didn't get the truth. This was what? It was March, so this was October, seven months later, and ran your campaign to the American people that there is no difference between you and Biden on the issue of our time, while people were so locked down, we didn't even have a real campaign. And they complain about the mail-in ballots, but it was, if you run an ad like, oh my gosh, you know, Fauci's right and we need to lock down and he listened to me, you have no right to then complain about mail-in ballots. They created that. I don't understand how you can overlook this. What is wrong with my colleagues? been an honor working with you, Jared. Thank you for all your help during this challenging period. Send my best to Ivanka. What a disgrace. Are you effing kidding me? Based on the times we live in, nominating this POS is tantamount to, it reminds me of when they wanted to place at the Flight 93 Memorial in Shanksville, a crescent, you know, the Islamic symbol. That's what it's like doing. Now you're just trolling us. You're going to elevate the men that did this? Oh, he's going to fight for us. How is it? What? Tell me, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. What am I missing? What is it about Trump that enables people to project upon him their hopes and aspirations when on the face of it, he says and does the opposite. Again, in the Bible, when it says you bow down to a stone that doesn't respond, that doesn't talk, that doesn't hear. This is worse. It does talk and it says the opposite. And you bow down to it anyway. And then everyone's like, he's the only way to beat, beat Biden. Okay. So, again, like we said yesterday, let's face it. Let's face it. 
everything that has changed in the attitude about these two individuals, that Trump could do no wrong and DeSantis could do no right, changed because of the polling. But those very same polls, except I'm not talking about the push polls, that, you know, Johnson-Kaplan thing that no one ever heard of that's a push poll made by a Trump outlet that's, like, fabricated that, like, DeSantis is at 1% and, and Vivek is at 15 Like, okay, no. But I'm talking about, like, you know, Ipsos and Menemoth and Suffolk and NBC and whatever. Okay. So, you know, that show, you know, DeSantis at 20, 23, and Trump at 48, 52. Um, so those very same polls have general election ballots, too. And they all show that it's not just the ballot question, you know, Trump versus Biden, that, you know, almost all of them have Biden ahead in all of the critical states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada. And every poll that has had head to head DeSantis versus Biden or Trump versus Biden in those five critical states, it's like unanimous. One is better, but it's the underlying numbers of Trump's fave unfave. He, like, and, and this is coming off, the, the polls are merely a reflection of three consecutive election cycles, the exact demographics. See, normally I'm not so into all, oh, maybe the polls are wrong, okay? But the last three elections, 18, 20, 22, reflect the exact map and demographics that the, broad consensus of the polls are still pointing to. And by the way, you're still seeing that in, in special elections. Normally, when you have a, such an unpopular, and he is unpopular, president like Biden, except Trump's numbers are even worse, that's the problem, but normally, and, and, and he's the incumbent, the other party runs the table on special elections. But there, there was recently a special election in Wisconsin for a state legislature. And it was a very safe seat. I don't have the exact numbers, but I want to say it was a Trump, like Trump plus 23 they won last time, or at least the Republican won by 23, and now the new Republican won it by nine. Okay, so you won. But what about the R plus five areas? And certainly... The even areas. Monomuth, which is, again, one of the polls that shows that's been consistently showing, showing Trump with a large lead in the primary, he has his lowest net negative favorability on record. It's negative 27. Trump loses to Biden by seven, and half the voters say they will definitely not vote for him. And basically, this is a suicide mission of half the Republican voters like him, but the other half don't, and all of the independents hate him. So most Republicans ultimately will come along in the general election, and they'll vote for him, but there is a chance he will lose some, uh, uh, an unacceptable amount. Right? Nor normally, like, you know, 5% of Dems vote Republican, 5% of Republicans vote Dems, but you can't lose, you know, 13 14%. That's for sure. Um, and, and the indies, it, it just, it, there's not a single poll that's not put out by you know, a Trump super PAC or something that shows that. I don't understand what they're looking at. 
And there's one thing if he actually is one of us on every issue, all right? So you just, you take a leap of faith and put your hope in God that you do the right thing. But what the hell? And again, it's going to slaughter us in state legislatures. There's a reason why across the board, most of the good legislatures are endorsing DeSantis because A, they get policy, but also they understand this problem. One of the things that's really starting to concern me about this, remember, my concerns are, we started the show, it's conservative review. It used to be called conservative conscience, and they're both the same thing. That we wanted to have a true north. And by the way, I'm you know not trying to toot my own horn here, but in one of his final months of his life, Rush Limbaugh, he was quoting an article from me, and he said, conservative review, and he said, Something the fed of these guys are real, the real deal. That is the true north of conservatism. And it was, you know, one of the honors of my life to hear that. And, you know, while Rush sometimes made certain political posturing decisions, but deep down he he was smart and he knew what was real and what wasn't. And he appreciated my work. And um I have the audio clips of that somewhere. I played when I, you know, kind of gave a tribute to him when he died. But anyway. My concern is that you want to make a strategic decision short term. I don't care. But don't lose sight of the issues and the beliefs and the down the ballot and the stuff we need to do in red states. And my concern is by watching my colleagues that in what they're doing, again, DeSantis could go away tomorrow. Trump could go away tomorrow. And we have the following problem on our hands. That they are conflating right-wing politics with rhetoric and image. Okay? So, and, and not even just rhetoric and image, but rhetoric and image that comports with a very specific, narrow focus, language, mannerism, and groupiness of a certain crowd. So if you're part of that, you could be a POS tranny leftist and and you're you're based and conversely you could be the most accomplished hardcore fighter implementer but if you don't fit that image you don't talk the way they do ah eh, you kind of sound like your establishment because you don't like say certain things in a certain way you as may as well be you know Mitt Romney if that's the way we're at now we're at a big problem because my concern headed forward, like I told you, is either we get the same establishment or we get the establishment now like, like Daniel Cameron, where he's a McConnell guy, but he's embracing Trump and MAGA broadly, but it's not like he's going to run on the vaccine suck and we need to pardon Jason. He's not running on that. He never would. So you get the worst of both. It's the same, like... No contrast, pale pastel, but then you, you turn off the voters of Trump. And Andy Bashir, the incumbent Democrat governor, a new poll is out. And it shows Cameron down 10 points in Kentucky. This is a deep red state in some ways, a lot of ways, with a Dem incumbent that locked them down with an incumbent unpopular Dem in the White House, and they're going to lose it in an off year. 
Or if you get someone that legitimately is based in their rhetoric, like they'll be more bold than Cameron, but it's rhetoric deep. It's just this like mindless, brainless, you know, yeah, we're gonna just crush the media and whatever. And there's just nothing there that will appeal to people. And he, so A, they won't be able to win. Or if it's an area they can win, they won't implement 90% of it because they're too stupid and unprincipled to be able to even do it. And my concern is, thanks to the work of people like Andy Roth of the State Freedom Caucus Network, we are growing a cadre of good, smart, accomplished fighters in state legislatures. There definitely is some sort of progress. And our hope should be, like I said, I don't care. You don't want DeSantis for governor, fine. But imagine if we had 20 states with a DeSantis. And like I keep saying, DeSantis would be 10 times better if he had other people because it would create, first of all, a race to the top. It would create much more of an ability that you're not out on a limb. And increasingly, we're going to have a bench of people like this. And some of them are friends of mine. I could picture who I'd want to run. But they sound just an image and persona. They sound more like DeSantis than they do Trump. And let me give you an example. In Wyoming, the undisputed leader of conservatism, and I don't mean like think tank, you know, stale, dried up. I mean, the way we view it is Chuck Gray. He was the leader of conservatives in the House and then he got elected as Secretary of State, which is de facto lieutenant governor in Wyoming, second to the governor. We have a horrible AIWEF bot. Mark Gordon is governor. And he just got reelected. But the hope would be that he is well positioned to be governor. And we should all agree that's who you want. If you are what Trump's base says they want, that's what you should want. What if the Trump movement comes along with like a Carrie Lake, Caroline Levitt of New Hampshire type of superficial dud? Be like, well, Daniel, you know, Chuck kind of sounds too, too intellectual and knowledgeable for me. I, he doesn't sound based enough. I'm going to go with this is a big problem. And it already kind of happened. Chuck was the first person who had the balls to run against Cheney. For House. He is the one who broke the ice. But but Trump came in and built off of his risk politically and endorsed this Hagerman person. Who, by the way, you know, when we talk about all these bills that or amendments that only 50 voted the right way, 30, 70, she's almost never one of them. T- typical dud. Nothing there. Trump came in and endorsed her. So Chuck had to get out of the race. Now, I always joke around with Chuck. I'm like, Trump did you a favor. The house is a miserable place to be. You're elected statewide. State is the way to go. Go become governor one day. So whatever. But they didn't have those intentions. Again, none of my colleagues could answer a word of the shows I put out the last two weeks. It is a an array of information that they, they don't know, they don't understand, but it's true. And you put it together and it paints an indefensible picture to support this man. It's a brain-dead movement. 
It is so subversive, it negates all of its stated beliefs. I've never seen a movement like that in my life. But then again, that's kind of what populism in a French Revolution is. It's just a, you know, Russian roulette or, or a, you know, circular firing squad, a guillotine. That's the thing. I have a guy in mind that's one of the conservative leaders in the South Dakota House. He is as hardcore, like he will be the only one he will take on Sanford Health and the Chamber of Commerce and the this and the that. But like you get a Christy Nome and she wraps herself around Trump, is literally a chambercrat in its most literal sense. The only difference is she'll wrap herself around Trump and some of the superficiality of his movement. And right away, she would crush him. And indeed, that's what happened. Actually, someone did run. Former Speaker of the House, we had him on the show. He got crushed more than two to one. This is what we've been up against. It's nothing new. It's that our mindless leadership acculturates our voters to focus on whatever is there. Oh, the Democrats are focusing R versus D. Let's focus on the R that's in front of us. It used to be Romney, McCain, It's Trump now. It's nothing more than he gets all the saturation coverage, so by default, he's the leader. It shouldn't be that way. It doesn't have to be that way, but they're making it that way. Give me a break. He is the establishment candidate. This is what we've been fighting my whole career against name ID. You'd have these, to this day, we are, let me say this. To my knowledge, now it is early in the cycle, but for the 2024 election, keep in mind most of the primaries in a presidential year year are earlier, so it's not as much time as you think. To a lot of these primaries in the earlier states, it's easily less than a year. You really need your recruitment there now. You, You speak to any MAGA person and be like, yeah, there's an endless litany of rhinos. Most of the Senate is rhinos. Most of the governors are rhinos. Um, two-thirds of the House Republicans are rhinos. Okay, fine. There is no, to my, on my, what I could see, there is no good versus evil race on the horizon that I can see where you have an amazing guy coming up to defeat an incumbent rhino. We have not moved an inch in knocking off incumbent rhinos. And there's a reason for that. The little momentum we were starting to grow got nuked by Trump. Sucking up the oxygen, the distraction, and then downright endorsing. Because, again, the establishment learned the game. They'll continue the chamber policies, but they'll indulge the superficiality of the low IQ people that are so low IQ you can indulge them by screwing them but just you know put out some video and some like Trump this or something this is what my concern is this is what I want stopped this is what cannot go on we cannot allow ourselves to continue this You want to, you know, fight for a certain cause. Fight for the cause. But woe to those who say of evil that it's good and of good that it's evil. 
who present darkness as light and light as darkness, who present bitter as sweet and sweet as bitter. And that's just the way it is. We've had a long, productive week. We're going to continue doing that next week. Again, you could join our ConAction teams, ConAction.network, to become one of our Legislative Strike Force team members. And we have 16 red states up. We want to create some more. Um, we're going to talk about that more next week. We're going to get into more issues, economic, obviously the border. There's some more stuff I want to talk about. Um, red state-based stuff. Talk about some campaign stuff. But the campaign is a fraction of my focus, and it always will be. It's what it's reflecting that is really, really concerning. Hope you guys have a terrific weekend, some downtime. God bless you all. Isaiah 520.